The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular, Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And before we get to our poll-chosen Halloween film... Spooky. And thank you for voting, any and everybody who voted in this Exactly, yeah. And overwhelmingly, uh, I would say, for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I I thought it was going to turn around there for a second, because it seemed like Hills was going to creep up. It started creeping up into the 30%. And then, no, it was a shame. I was looking forward to watching Hills, because I've never seen it. I haven't either. I haven't either. Yeah, that would have been been fun. Anyways, though, so uh, you spoke, we listened, and uh, today's episode is going to be on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but... Before we get there, as we always do, we will give you some recommends for the week. Ian, do you mind if I go first? Please. Um, because it is it is not always the easiest thing to find movies to watch with my young children that I also enjoy. Um, and so uh, kind of an ancillary Halloween movie that we watched the other night that is not in the book, I don't think. No, it's not. Um, the Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, which was great because uh, Stella actually kind of remembered this movie from like way back when, and she remembered Jack Skellington and, and everything. So, um, anyways, that's my recommendation: is the Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, we open up on this great, and I love the premise too of just all these different trees with doors in the woods for all the different holidays. And well, you pairing this with our Halloween episode is going to fuel the age-old debate: is it a Christmas movie? Is it a Halloween movie? Is it both? Exactly. Right. Yes. And which I, I think has helped it stand the test of time. Me too. And I, I, I honestly think it is both, which is why I, th- I, I like bringing it up now, although I could have easily paired this with a Christmas movie later on. I think it was so. a genius move as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and essentially, we, we follow Jack Skellington, who is sort of the hot shit scare guy in Halloween Town. And- <laughs> Can I say, nobody in the history of discussing films has ever referred to Jack Skellington as hot shit. He, okay, in that town, he's hot shit. <laughs> he is the it guy. Um, I love it. Uh, and, you know, like Halloween has just ended and they're already getting ready for the next one. But Jack Skellington wants more. He he pines for something more. And as he's sort of, you know, in his angst walking around, he finds himself uh, in that same wooded area with all of the trees. And he finds himself in Christmas Town and sees snow and Santa Claus and all these things. And he decides that, no, what Halloween Town needs is Christmas. And he basically, and because, because, you know, like the mayor and everybody else sort of put him on this pedestal, they go along with it. Instead of doing Halloween next year, they're going to do Christmas. And then it's just fun. You know, this, and what I like, I like the songs and they're not all rhymey, rhymey. They're, they're more like poetic. They're not necessarily trying to do like an ABAB rhyme scheme or they anything. They are so much better than the film deserves. Yeah. That's, yeah. I would say so. I mean, I, I was about to look it up, but what's this? Did that get 
any kind of awards no. attention. Oh my no, god! No, the that... only the only uh, it was, this was nominated for best visual effects when it came out. Yeah, because was animated feature even a no? Not it until, wasn't a category yet, right? No, not until two thousand one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Which yeah, I have to assume that this would have taken it. That oh, if that, if animated feature had this been is, this is ninety three. Yeah. Um, so it's in between two big Disney ones. It's in between Aladdin and, and Lion, Lion King. King. Yeah, yeah. I think it would have. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and it's just it's just it's fun. And and ultimately, you know, I think Jack Skellington realizes no, it's okay. Like he, they try to do Christmas. He tries to be Santa Claus. It goes bad. Everybody in in like the real world gets like shitty presents that like scare them and try to eat them and things. And um, I gotta say though, I was re- uh, upon rewatching it, the uh, the uh, Oogie, the boogeyman, the Oogie Boogie, that is a creepy ass villain. Like like thirty two year old Adam was like a little bit like, oh god, I don't like this guy. I don't yeah, like he's, how he moves he's and weird to look at. Yeah. Yeah, and even even his animation, the 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 way that it works is a little different. It it's I don't like it. It's creepy. Um, I was not expecting to talk about Nightmare Before Christmas well, today. Go. I love it. I got look. I got to Let's try not to derail the episode too far. I will. I, will, I, will, I, I, will. I could talk to you a while about. Yeah, this. exactly. And so, and and honestly, it was fun to watch with with Stella, who didn't find it scary at all. Who who found it just entertaining and, and everything. And um, and yeah. And I I just you know I won't say much about it because because I'm sure most people have, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's big enough. But in the off chance that you haven't, um, I definitely recommend it. It's fun, and and it is. It is. I. It's creepy, and some of these, some of the, the scary people in, in the town are kind of creepy looking. But I, I, you know, my five year old was not, was not scared at all. So I, I, it comes with not just my recommendation, but like a, a family friendly. You could put this on and, and watch it, and it's it's fun. So how good is Danny Elfman with those songs? Because I know he doesn't oh. he doesn't voice the the talking Jack Skellington. I think that's Chris Sarandon, maybe. Oh, I don't remember. But I, Danny Elfman does the songs, and what's this yeah. is just a fantastic yeah it, it, it really I, is. I don't particularly like the movie but i that number is fantastic yeah and what i will say is can we stop giving tim burton credit for that film yeah i know he I, literally did nothing on it well he's he's attached as producer yeah yeah but he like barely was even on set because he was uh he was roped into he had a, a contractual obligation to give warner brothers a second batman film yeah so he didn't write it. He didn't direct it. He barely produced it. Yeah, wasn't an animator on it. By the way, you, you, it was Chris Sarandon. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So, anyways, there you go. There you have it. My my sort of Halloween recommend, uh, but family friendly film like I put in there um, is is a nightmare before Christmas. Ian, what do you have? Well, before we go on completely, I'd like to stop giving Tim Burton credit for anything, but I'll move on with my recommendation. That's I'm not going to fight you on that. Yeah, right? Yeah. You just stop it. <laughs> After Planet of the Apes, that should have killed his career. Ooh. We should have had no more well, Tim Burton but movies. But my favorite movie of his did come after that. Big Fish is phenomenal. Yeah, good. it really is. It's yeah. so much better. It's, like, I yeah. hate that his name I, is attached I, I to it. Too. I really do, too. I, yeah. oh. And I, two films I've had to take a shower after watching because I felt so dirty after watching them. The first one is Ralph Boxy's Lord of the Rings. Second one, his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I just oh felt God. dirty. It's, that's fucking good. Oh, I had to get that off me. Is that your recommendation? It is not. Oh, okay. My recommendation is The Witch. Oh, Robert Eggers movie. How, is uh, it, how do you first, this is the first time I saw it. Liz, okay. uh, I, so Liz and I had started it maybe a year ago mm-hmm. and she was just it was like middle of the night super dark creepy night we were watching a bunch of horror films for yep. halloween and all that. she's like no i can't 
gets to the part where the baby gets snatched and it's those long lingering shots and then you see Anna Taylor-Joy go booking it into the woods and she's like, nope, I'm out, done. Because she does, she scares fairly easy. She's fairly jumpy. Um, but no, we went back, we saw what spurred us on to watch this is the trailer for The Lighthouse. Yes. Which is my most anticipated film of the year, which uh, by the time this episode goes out, I think it will have already come out. I think it's about the 18th. Okay, yeah. So it's supposed to come out. That sounds about right. Um, but Robert Eggers, man, what a promising director in the same way somebody like Ari Aster. I, I am mm-hmm. really enjoying this new wave of horror yeah. horror films and, and, and filmmakers. Um, I know, of course, spearheading that is Get Out, which I wasn't totally taken with. I appreciated it. I, I really appreciated the writing. Some of the execution I felt could have done with some work, but that's neither here nor there. Sure. Uh, the Witch. Yeah. Uh, 1630s in New England. This family is cast out of a village. It seems like for the, the dad is quite arrogant and strong-willed. Yeah. And so they're like, no, nah, you can't be here. Get out. So they, they go off and they find this beautiful plot of land where they're going to make a new life for themselves. And uh, so it's the father, the mother, the oldest daughter, played by Anna Taylor-Joy, and a terrific performance by uh, the oldest son. Um, I have his name here. Henry, oh, sorry, Harvey Scrimshaw plays Caleb. His death scene, spectacular. The, now, have you seen The Witch? Yeah, but it's been a while. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've seen it once, and I can't say that I remember beat, right. beat by beat, but I remember enjoying it. And then they also have twins and then a newborn, and of course the newborn gets snatched yeah. right those at twins, the beginning. Man. Yeah, those, those twins are just, twins. Ooh, they are evil. Yeah. Um, and so there's, uh, uh, Anna Taylor Joy, the oldest daughter is watching the daughter as a, uh, watching the, the, the newborn, the newborn gets snatched by a witch who is out there in the woods and then just chaos ensues. I mean, I don't want to spoil too much for, for anybody who hasn't seen it, but yeah. the witch, I wouldn't call the witch a great film, but it is a great atmospheric film. It really yes. does a tremendous job of building dread. Mm-hmm. and suspense and then of course there's the black philip the goat yeah who i'm i'm disappointed that scene where he jumps up on his hind legs didn't go on longer because it's creepy as shit i mean i know they said the goat wasn't as well trained as they would have liked to have been but the thing that blows me away about this film is i remember the build-up and the hype to it um and reading a lot about the production and what absolutely blew my mind is they started building the sets and the sets looked I mean, yeah, they looked period, but they didn't look as good as they should have. They didn't look as authentic as they should have. So they went, oh, this isn't going to work. They built the tools that they would have had in the 1630s and then built the sets using those tools. So oh, it would wow. look more authentic. That is, I didn't breathe. I, I mean, I didn't really do any research, but that's Based that's on awesome. that kind of dedication alone, I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'm in. This is incredible. I mean, way to go well above and beyond to try and make your film as authentic as possible. That's and a like lot that of, Michael Mann level of authenticity. I know, there. right? That's, that's I mean, impressive. that's that's what makes me so excited about The Lighthouse and about Robert Eggers as a, as a filmmaker. I mean, yeah. that if you have that level of dedication on this little nothing, I mean, the, the budget was, what, like $4 million? I, $6 million, right. something, I mean, it wasn't something much, very yeah. small. And to, and to turn around and... and have those kind of resources and that kind of dedication just blows me away. And again, a lot of the writing comes from writing of the period. Yes. A lot yeah. of people's diaries that and, I, yeah, that and, uh, and tribunals and things like that. I mean, it's really incredible. So even though it may not be the greatest horror film to have come out in the last decade or so, it is... It, but it, this, you're right, though. The sense of dread, the atmosphere. Yes. It, it, that's the, the, yeah, I couldn't agree the, more The authenticity. You. Yeah, that, and that too, yeah. 
And I didn't know how I felt about the end at first, but the longer I sat and I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, okay, and, no, no, this works. I like this. That's why I'm, 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 I am eager to rewatch because if, if for no other reason than the ending, because right. I want to, I, I want to follow it closer and, and kind of track how we get there. And I, I will be vague, but yeah, I, cause I'm, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I know, yeah. but not, I, I a, can understand how some people feel it's anticlimactic. Yes. I totally get that. Yeah. But no, when you do, you sit and you think that you're like, yeah, man, this is how else would you want it to end? I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's good. And I'm, I'm so pumped for the lighthouse. Yeah. Me Cannot too. wait. Yeah. Gonna try and double feature it with Jojo Rabbit if I can, which is gonna be a little weird. That would but, be, but but hey. But I feel Jojo Rabbit first, and then the Lighthouse. I think is the way to do that. I because they both come out on the 18th. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because I feel like have the fun one up front and have a good laugh, and then sit and stew sure. in this yeah, yeah, yeah. atmospheric sense. weird whatever the fuck is going on. I remember in that I kind of felt that when we did we did the fighter in Black Swan and we did it in that order, and that, that felt the right. Yeah, that was the right. I, yeah. order to no, watch. No, I totally those agree two. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Why'd you spill your beans? I oh, I can't wait for Willem Dafoe in this movie, man. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait. Well, there you have it. Yeah, there you go. The the witch. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, it's uh, as of this recording, it's still streaming on well, is, Netflix. It, isn't it a twenty four? It is a twenty four, but uh, Netflix still has it oh, okay. for some reason, well, there you go. rather than, than Prime. I thought Prime had bought up all of their stuff. But. Yeah. Well, anyways, yeah, you you'll find it. Yeah. yeah, it's good. You'll find it. Um, so. Fuck, dude. Let's just we just got to get into it. Here we go, man. We just got to po- talk about the deep dive Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Chainsaw being two words. Yes, for which, for the, uh, the uh, for the sake of posterity. Yeah, which was uh, when I I'm not gonna lie when I was first trying to find up stuff on it, I, it wasn't popping up. For no, me you were all. probably getting the remake. <laughs> yeah, which was like fuck this. I don't want that. Yeah, nobody wants that. Um, so uh, this movie uh, <laughs> came out in 1974. This right. is the granddaddy of of slasher films. Yes. Yeah, very much. Or a, rather, you know the way I like to refer to it? For me, Halloween is the granddaddy. This is the grandmother. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? Just sure. because of the uh, little bit of, of gender bending that happens in this film. Yeah, yeah, which we'll, we'll, well, I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, so this was... Now, I, I, right off the bat, I got to say, it, is it Toby... Toby Hooper. Okay, because yeah. I've heard I've heard people say Toe, but I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, don't do it's that. It's Toby Hooper. Great. Yeah. Okay. We're, so right. Okay, we're on the same. Toby page. Hooper. We're good. So this is directed by Toby Hooper, written by him and uh, Ken uh, Kim Henkel, who also gets a, a story by credit. Um, I do have some things to say about this cast, but we'll we'll get to there in a second. So let me let me read who I have. I have Marilyn Burns as Sally, Alan Danzinger as Jerry, Paul Partain as Franklin, William Vale as Kirk. Terry McMinn as Pam, and we'll just stop there for a second because those are the five people in the van. They're traveling. Um, and then we have Edwin Neal as listed as Hitchhiker, but he does have a name attributed to him, right? He does, but I don't, I can't. Oh, I'm failing here. I wish I'd written it down. I Hold don't on. recall it off the top I, of my head. I do think I have that. Hold on one second. Nubbins. Great name. Nubbins. Um, uh, Jim Sidow, is that what I would say? Yeah. That? yeah. As Old Man. Um, and he's the one who uh, uh, he's there at the gas station. Yeah, yeah, the gas station yeah. guy. Uh, Gunnar Hansen playing Leatherface. John Dugan as the grandfather, and then a very young, un. I mean, I, I, was he credited? John Larroquette as the narrator. Yeah, he's credited. Okay, apparently yeah. uh, his salary was one single marijuana cigarette, which you know, as as payment goes, oh, there are worse things so to get paid. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, right. Could, and the teeth would, yeah, be, would be worse. I'll sit here and narrate this film for a marijuana cigarette. There you go. Um, 
we didn't mention this in last week's episode uh, that uh, Neil Jordan didn't have any other movies in the book. Toby Hooper. <laughs> it's like, so controversial. I love it. Toby Hooper is credited with one other film in the book, and that is Poltergeist from 1982. Ian, take it away. Now, you believe what you want to believe. I mean, the, the rumor is, is that Spielberg directed the bulk of that film, which... I mean, a lot. I've seen a lot of like stills and things like that of him like directing the kids and things like that. But it seems like for the most part, that that is generally agreed upon that Spielberg was directing. Uh, Toby Hooper had a hard time with actors, and so Spielberg directed the actors, and and Hooper was doing a lot of the visual effects and sure. and and that sort of, of nonsense. But no, I haven't seen it, so I don't really have one opinion on that one way. You or haven't the seen other. Poltergeist? No. It's not good. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I'm glad it's in the book. But it is. Um, it's. It has a, a, a special place in history, I'm sure, for Spielberg because it was um, originally intended as a sequel to Close Encounters. Yeah. There was a lot more of an alien vibe to it rather than, um, you know, ghouls and demons and ghosts and things like that in the original script. Um, but it's, a, it's an important turning point for Spielberg because this is when he really starts to come into his own as a producer, which... You, know, you you take a look at his his list of credits as a producer as opposed to director. I mean, this guy has produced so much yeah. stuff. He's been behind the scenes. I mean, everything from the Animaniacs to yeah. I mean, I, I just he's a he's a crazy crazy good producer. Yep, I would agree. I would and, agree. And wearing those sort of multiple hats is this is where he started to manifest that ability. Oh yeah. Now, um, kind of um, getting into. Uh, accolades now here's the thing about this this uh, movie there are none there are none but let me i just want to read <laughs> ian please stop me at any point but there's a there's a shitload of things that it ultimately did or not one but so. yeah yeah entertainment weekly ranked this film sixth on its 2003 list of the top 50 cult films in a 2005 total film poll it was selected as the greatest horror film of all time now it, did you see who was on that panel that uh, voted who, it? hold on no I'm not, that's not the one yet um in uh that was in 2010 total film it was again selected as the greatest horror film of all time on a judging panel that included john carpenter wes craven and george a romero that's five years later that's why I got yeah you yeah and so that's I mean, they would know. So, yeah. who are we to argue with them? And 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 so this this is one of those movies that stood the test of time. There's a lot of these, like um, Slant Magazine, Thrillist, Consequence of Consequence of Sound, Esquire. All of these either top or ranked in like the top highest of horror films of all time. Now, it did actually get selected um, for the Cannes Film Festival Directors Fortnight, and it actually won um, something at the London Film Festival. So it, it did get a, kind of some quote-unquote accolades at the time but this is one of those movies that like not only stood the test of time but like has become really one of those like echelon horror movies well i I do show it having other than the london film festival which i somehow missed but it did win in france um the film festival is now called the gerardmer fantastic film festival i'm sorry if i'm butchering the uh, pronunciation of that but at the time it was called the avoraz uh, fantastic Film Festival, 1976, they gave uh, Hooper a Critics Award there for it. So it does have one particular yeah. accolade that we can tie to it. That's fair, yeah. Um, it is not on the IMDb 250. It currently has an 88% critical and an 82 audience on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I'm wondering if we have the same review because we did last week. 
Roger Ebert. Good old Raj. Good old Mr. Ebert. And I do, I actually, now, now I do, I do like his, no, uh, the, like the should, opening paragraph. You, you should call out that it is a two star review. The funny it thing about this, review. the funny thing about this review is you think, oh, he didn't like it. He gave it two stars. He actually does have yeah. quite a few good things to say about it. Just, just to, uh, to read the, uh, the opening one. Now here's a grisly, now here's a grisly little item. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is as violent and gruesome and blood soaked as the title promises. And what is this, a real grand... Uh, grand guignol. Okay. Um, it's also without any apparent purpose, unless the creation of disgust and fright is a purpose. And yet, in its own way, the movie is some kind of weird off-the-wall achievement. I can't imagine why anyone would want to make a movie like this, and yet it's well-made, well-acted, and all too effective. That's and, what I mean by it. He did sing some praises well, to and also, it. And this will kind of maybe lead us closer, lead us into talking about the movie. Um, he also believed that it was real. He believed that this was based off of a specific incident, not like at the time, like it wasn't quite like, oh, this is sort of based off of Ed Gein and some of the other things. Like I, if you read the whole review, he, he makes it very clear that he, he thought that he believed the opening narration. Which that, is great. That was yeah. They did themselves such a service there marketing it like that in the same way the Coen brothers did with well, Fargo. And that's what I was going to say actually was was I saw Fargo before I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And so I thought, ooh, look, look, look at the Coen brothers being so inventive. But no, I mean, and maybe and maybe something else said it before this, but in terms of my chronology of seeing films and where and when they came out, I think this one gets the, the credit for like saying that something is true when it is not. Utter bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently what it, I read that Toby Hooper, this was like an intentional thing, like because he felt like Americans were being lied to about Vietnam and politics and stuff. And so he felt like, well, why not? Why can't I just say something real when, yeah. it's, when it's not? Yeah, I mean, I, you've got to give him so much credit for the innovation there. Now, to highlight a little something in Ebert's review, as violent and gruesome and blood-soaked as the title promises, there really isn't that much gore in this film. It's really, really not. not explicit in, this, in the way that we think of slashers, even though it did so much for yes. slasher films. It's... It's not explicit in the way that we think of these types of films, because there's usually a bunch of teenagers, they're smoking pot, they're having sex... I mean, this film doesn't have any sex in it, doesn't have any drug use in it, doesn't have any real profanity. So all of those tropes that you associate with these types of slasher films, it's just not here. Yeah, I think I think it's, I would say it's two things. It's one, that when you see any blood, it seems to be very realistic. Like, like even more, like something as simple as him cutting, him cutting his hand when the hitchhiker, when they pick him up, like that, that looks really real. Well, there is actually some real blood well, in it yes and we can get to that um but the other there'll thing be a too, lot to say about that dinner scene the other thing too is is and but that and it's the images are really disturbing and yeah. I'm, I'm gonna play my hand early that my my favorite shot and i should say shots of the movie is starting with the flashes yes of all of the like teeth and skulls and, and, and decomposing corpses, yeah. which we have to assume the hitchhiker he's dug them up because the the old man makes a reference to that later in the film. I told you yes. not to go back to that graveyard. But and... it's 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 not just the way that that is executed because it's executed very well and it it it, it pulls you in in such a oddly enticing way. Like what the fuck is this? It's also the sound of the flashes that yes. are extremely disturbing. Yeah. So to to continue that, I saw this film like The Exorcist, way too young. I went through a whole phase of watching what they call the video nasties in Europe and in the UK, especially because this film was banned in several countries, including the UK, and then wasn't finally made readily available until about 1999. Okay. It was a hot summer evening. I remember this. I don't remember the first time I saw The Exorcist implicitly. I remember about the time frame, but this I remember so vividly. 
It's a hot summer evening. It was just fucking nasty and sweaty and humid. And I'm sitting there watching this film and I'm just, I'm disturbed instantly. I, this is a film, and this is the point I really want to hammer home and why it, again, I'll tip my hand too. I do believe it deserves in the book. You can smell this film. <laughs> I genuinely believed I could smell the, how nasty this film was. And what, what amazes me is that Toby Hooper wanted a PG for it. Yeah, that that's a stretch. That is a stretch. Well, but, but this is before PG-13. It is. And I, I, Liz and I had this discussion. We were talking about, do you think this film had PG-13 been around? Because that wasn't invented until 84. Had this film come out in a PG-13 era, would it have gotten that? Yeah, I think in the early days of it, no. But I think now... Yeah. Because this film, to some, may seem quite tame, especially veteran horror films. Well, yeah, there's, there's, there, there's, there's very little blood. Um, there's, is there any swearing? Yeah, like, that's what I was talking about. Is yeah. That all, the, it, all the modern tropes we associate with a slasher film just aren't here. Yeah, there's no nudity. It, yeah, yeah. It, yes, you're right. I mean, I, 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 I think by today's standards, it's a PG-13. Yeah. Although, it, I, I, but it wasn't at one point it was even rated X? Yes, the original, I don't, and I don't know what he cut to get it down to an R, but he did concede and he finally gave up pushing for the PG-13 and settled for the R. You mean PG? Hmm? You mean he's not, he, he couldn't settle for the PG-13? Yeah, yeah, one, yeah. sorry. I, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. I he, do, he, I he, he didn't, I yeah, settled on the R. Um, but yeah, and, and you mentioned the sound. I, I At one point I said, uh, um, let me flip to my notes and not the other people's notes. But I, I said that like some of the sounds, I said it sounded like a metallic cat in pain. Oh yeah, that the image is over the flash. Yeah, that. Yeah. I was like, oh my, yeah, it really is just like fuck me. Now the the sound where I'm torn between who my unsung heroes are. One of them is the sound department on this film and and the music and things like that because yeah. there is really no real music on it other yes. than ancillary stuff we hear on the radio. Correct. Um, but the sounds that we do hear is it's designed to sound like we are inside a slaughterhouse. You are hearing what a cow hears before yeah. it is killed. Yeah. Which that in itself, just sit and think about that for a minute. Let that resonate. Oh, that is just horrifying, that thought. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to just really quickly continue because it's not just the opening over the flashes, but it, it's the juxtaposition of something that is so quick and, and, and you, you, you can't see enough of it at first. Like it's just, it's, it's not, it, you don't get to linger on it. And then cut to that slow pull of the, the I, monument. I call it the monument, yeah, yeah. Of, of the body pieces. Those two things back to back worked staggeringly well. Yeah. It is, it is, it's creepy in two totally different ways and it shows you that this movie's going to fuck with you on multiple levels. Uh, it's the the word I kept using, the word that I've always used to describe this film to people when I've talked about it, relentless. Yeah. This film is relentless on a level that just some other films can't attain no matter how hard they may want to. This well, film is the definition of relentless. Uh, yeah, that that's tough. I, if if the uh the scene with the five kids at the house was shorter, I I would say that. But like sure, that is it a, has a it that's has a, a tough that's a tough couple like that. I am so bored and I don't give a shit about anything that happens there. I don't think we're supposed to, to care about the kids. They are ultimately all just going to be. Yeah. 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 They're, they're meat. Yes. Hey, yeah. Um, there's another pun for you. So do you want to, but to just finish my point yeah. about Ebert's review is, oh, that yes, yes. as far as the Gorn stuff, he talks about how gory it is. I mean, I think it's it's shot in such a brilliant way. It's shot on that terrible, grainy, nasty 16 millimeter. It's got the the terrible sounds. 
supposing they're supposedly emulating the inside of a slaughterhouse. I mean, your mind makes you feel that you've seen something that you actually haven't. Yeah, it's it's a great trope that Hitchcock used mm-hmm. in this. You never see the knife go in in Psycho. In the same way, David Fincher is another one. We never see any of the murders except for the last one in Seven, but because of the way he shoots it, your mind makes you think that you've seen a more violent film than you actually have. Yeah. And that is that is a master class in filmmaking. Yeah. It's I, probably a word that most people don't use when they talk about Toby Hooper, but <laughs> this is a masterful film. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's too bad his career never really... Uh... I know what's he got? He's got he's got Life Force and, and, uh, and Poltergeist. God right? damn, Life Force is awful. <laughs> yeah, I I feel really bad for him because he exhibited so much unrealized potential with yeah, this film. I would agree. I would agree. It, it's heartbreaking. So do you want to do you want to take us through the just the, the recap of the quick little synopsis? Oh, did we not even do the synopsis? I got so lost yeah, in jumping yeah, straight good. in. Right, good. I'm so excited to talk about this film. So we've got five uh, teenagers, college age kids, kind of thing. They're off to go uh, through Texas uh, to go to their what we believe is their grandparents' house. Yeah, that would be Franklin. And Sally. Correct. Brother and sister. So they're in the van with three of their other friends, and uh, they stop at this graveyard because they're hearing over the radio that, oh, these these graves are being desecrated. People are doing unsightly things with the body. So they want to make sure their grandfather's grave hasn't been desecrated. And we never get really a follow-up about whether it is or not, but you you get the feeling that it hasn't because they're cheery enough as they leave. And then they happen to pick up a hitchhiker, which is a really bad choice because they pick up what was his name? Nubbins? Nubbins. Nubbins. Have you ever picked up a hitchhiker? I have never picked up a hitchhiker. I have once. Oh, we got to derail and talk about this. Oh, do, do we? Yeah. Come on, man. So so for any of you who know your uh, your your Western Washington geography, um, I went to school up at Western for undergrad, and but, it, but my first year, I was still living in Stanwood. It's about a 40-minute drive. I was getting on the, the exit, exit 252, right by the Hague, and I worked out up there when I was in college, and I was coming home. And uh, right on the off-ramp, right under a no-hitchhiking sign, was a guy um, who was hitchhiking. And uh, Did he look anything like Nubbins? No, no, he did not. Um, <laughs> and I, I pulled over, and I said, how far south are you going? And he said, Everett. But I, but like, like, but like, thinking oddly ahead, I was like, "Well, I don't want him to know where I'm getting off." So I said, "Well, I'm going as far as Mount Vernon, so I can take you as far as Mount Vernon, which is still like, it's about halfway between." Yeah, you've saved him a hell of a shitty walk. Yeah, um, and uh, he says, "Okay." So I he 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 got in the car and and I I drove. This is the one I had my like old 1996 Honda Civic, and uh, he sat and sat in the front. I mean, I, I you know and. I don't remember. I couldn't tell you what we talked about. Um, he didn't have a bag, which made me feel better about it. Um, but like, obviously, he still could have had a weapon on him or something. Now, granted, I'm here, I'm alive, and nothing happened, and there's really not much of a story to tell. But I, I can say that I, I did pick up a hitchhiker when I was like 20. So I'm gonna guess you hadn't seen Texas Chainsaw. Had not. So this is my first time seeing it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, I love the the first impression considering that i've seen it maybe 10 or 12 times yeah yeah that's fair um yeah uh this is part of the reason i've never and never will pick up a hitchhiker well and i, I can safely say that i will not ever do it again right so 
There yeah. you go. So anyway, they pick up they pick up Nubbins and shit goes south really fast. That he is just out of his mind, crazy. He's talking about the slaughterhouses. He's talking about fucking head cheese. Head cheese, which is one of the working titles for this film. Which oh my god, it doesn't <sighs> it doesn't totally work. I like it in a sort of avant garde. It's it's a great title, just not for this film. Yeah. And another one of the working titles was Leatherface, which yes. I believe they used on one of the remakes, prequels, reboots, who gives a flying Exactly. Fuck. I pretend they don't exist. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, though I do hear two is interesting. Is that the one? What, what's the one with McConaughey and Renee Zellweger? That's four. That's okay. the next generation. Okay, okay. Um, I'm interested to see that only because of who's in it. Yeah. And it's essentially, it's not. It's more of a, they make references to shit that's happened in other ones, but I guess it's more of a, a remake than it is a sequel. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but two looks interesting, if for no other reason that Dennis fucking Hopper is in it. Oh, is he? As oh, a mad see, sheriff. There's a great that's gift interesting too. of him dual-wielding chainsaws. Oh, my God. Imagine Dennis that. Hopper. Dennis Hopper dual-wielding chainsaws in the mid-'80s. That just sounds like every Friday night for him. That's fair. Yeah, they probably just went to his house. <laughs> yeah, just like, hey, dude, can we just film you doing some crazy shit? <laughs> anyway, we're at struggle. We're not it's even getting good. through it's the synopsis. Good. Anyway, you know where this is going. Yeah. They they drop off the hitchhiker after shit goes south, and they get to the house. And Franklin, who is in a wheelchair, he's disabled. He gets yeah. left behind while the other teens are off having fun. Two of them, uh, Kirk and Pam, Pam they uh, stumble upon a house next door. It's a house they should have definitely not go have gone in because there they encounter Leatherface. Yes who immediately kills them, starts chopping them up for dinner. It is a house full of cannibals. Well, and and I, I, I don't... That's, <sighs> Nubbins at one point says how the cows would twitch when you'd hit them with the thing, and then Leatherface hits Kirk over the head, and the the twitching... Like, that's the thing, there's hardly any blood, but, like, the twitching to me is more disturbing than seeing a pile of blood. I think like, that's enough to earn it, the R rating. Holy shit. Yeah. That is... That's... I, that I can't. I oh. I would love to have sat in on some of those MPAA hearings to try and hear Toby Hooper justify the PG for this. Yeah, it's like, dude, you are out of your fucking mind. This film, though it may not be gory, it's fucking disturbing. Yes, yeah, it, 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 gory it may not be, but disturbing it is in yeah. spades. Yes, it so, is. Oh. So anyway, you you're gonna follow this thing through. Like I said, it it is the one that created some of the tropes that we're so familiar with in slasher films, like getting down to you know the last the last well, girl, yeah, the last so, survivor. Yeah. So even so, Alien took some. Uh, yeah. Oh, totally. I'd some, say so. Some. Uh, it, well, Ridley Scott said that he was inspired by. Texas Chainsaw yeah. when making Alien. So, I mean, this film's influence is very far-reaching. But that's the basic plot synopsis. Yeah, but, I mean, no, but, they're all going to get just, knocked but, off. Yeah, so, yeah, because Kirk and Pam go, and they don't come back. And uh, Sally and, and Jerry and Franklin are all together. And Sa- Sally and Jerry are a couple. Jerry decides he's going to go look for them, and Sally stays back with Franklin. He doesn't come back because he gets he gets killed as well. And then Sally and Franklin decide, okay, well, now we got to go find him. And, and, and I will say that, that Franklin's death comes out of fucking nowhere. I yeah. mean, he is just obliterated like real quick. Real and that quick. chainsaw is super close to him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised there weren't more injuries on this film. That's that's true. So okay, is that is that, is that enough of a plot synopsis? I think that's enough I just, okay, cuz I I have shit to say and I'm sure you do I'm too. I'm sure you yeah, I'm okay. sure you do. So, referencing back to Ebert's review, he says that this movie is well acted. Is it? And here's here's my follow-up. Is this extremely good acting or extremely piss poor acting? Because there are times where I cannot tell the difference. 
Okay, I'll give you Franklin. Is the guy that plays Frank Paul? Uh, what's his name? Paul Partain. Yeah. Are we supposed to care about him? He is a fucking dipshit. I don't care about him at all. Like, fuck that guy. I yeah. The first time I watched it, I remember being relieved when he when 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 he's downstairs and he's just going like, oh, blowing the raspberries. Yeah. I was like, dude, go fuck yourself. Yeah. I he was the one I couldn't wait to die. Well, and apparently a lot of the cast were pretty glad when he got bumped off too oh, because really? he stayed in character. Oh. He was just a dick the whole fucking movie. God, fuck on set. Him. Yeah, like I appreciate method acting, but there's being a dick and then there's just being a fucking dick. But so but then the other thing, but the other thing I wanted to say too about that was that I couldn't the, the name wasn't listed on IMDb. And I, I never put the disc back in the check. But my unsung hero is whoever fucking cast this movie is my unsung hero because because the people like Nubbins and the dad care like like the characters in this movie are like fucking perfect for it. Like, well, the, there, there's sort of there's some polar opposites. You talk about good acting versus piss poor acting. Yes, but, but the I'm kids saying, are fucking awful. Yes. Yes. But the three cannibals, the three main, yes. they are incredible. Yeah, and yeah, and uh, Gunnar Hansen. I mean, if he he would be my unsung hero if he wasn't sung enough for this film. That's, that's yeah. But yeah. the fact that he went and studied mentally disabled people and because the whole point of Leatherface is that he's got an undeveloped mind. Yes, and uh, apparently there was dialogue for him in the script. It was like in the liner notes. It's like this is what we're trying to imply that you're saying. It, it, yes, yeah. but you you can't speak. You're undeveloped. So it's just a series of grunts and cries and. The moment that I love so much is after he's killed the first two, and then he's freaking out, like, oh my god, like, how many more? He's, like, going and looking at the window and pulling the curtains, and he's got his head in his hands, and he's like, oh my, how many more are there? How yeah. many more do I have to kill? Yeah. Well, and I don't I don't know when you want to talk about this, but do you want to talk at all about the um, the different masks and, uh, like, the different yeah, personalities? Yeah, because he's got three different masks, and each of those masks implies, a, yeah, like you said, a different personality, because he's got his, his killing mask. Yes. And then he's got the uh, the old. He's got the lady mask. Yeah, he's got two. They're kind of like two lady masks. Well, and, and and I like I like how it, this is all from the IMDb page. Um, and I like how they there's the killing mask. There's the old lady mask, and there's the pretty woman mask. So pretty woman is at dinner, and then old lady is is after he's done his killing and yeah. he's in the kitchen preparing supper. Yes, yeah. Um, and I I, I got to say that I, I I knew the masks had changed, you know, throughout the course of the film, but kind of reading further into it, I, I love that like it kind of shaped the that person. Like he was still un- underdeveloped and let's be real, insane and wielding a chainsaw. But I do like the the implication that each mask kind of brought with it a slightly different personality. And that's what I mentioned very early in the podcast, the gender bending nature of this film is that there is no real mother yeah in this group and so he almost takes on the matriarch role of the family. And I think the I think the absence of a mother is is it, it it made me ask more questions than the movie could answer, obviously. But but it makes yeah, like who who are like who who is the mother? Where is she? Like what what the fuck happened? And and right. it's it's a well, really and the old man may not even be the father. They in some synopsis plot synopsis, I've read that they are they are brothers. Sure, that the old man is the oldest brother, Leatherface the middle child, and then Nubbins is the is, is the youngest. And then so then then but then so the, there is no mother father. It's just them and the grandfather. Oh, okay, and okay, then, yeah. And then grandma, grandma or mum is is dead upstairs, yeah, yeah, like, rotting in that chair. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I think a, a reference to Psycho maybe at, at, at a very 
sure. very far and, removed, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But I, I did love reading about um, John Dugan and the makeup. He, yeah. Do you want to dive straight into the dinner scene? Because that that those Look, two things are tied very close. Yeah. Well, let me. Well, here, let me just get my my. So the, John Dugan is in a, a hefty amount of like old man weird makeup, and apparently the process of it, which took hours, he did not want to sit through again, and so they shot all of that. What like thirty six hours, I think. So yeah, his total shooting time was thirty six hours. The dinner scene, I think, is about twenty twenty four to twenty six of those hours. One nonstop continuous shoot. It's one hundred and ten degrees. Middle of Texas, that house has no ventilation. And for anybody that's seen the movie, this is where I talk about how I feel like I could smell the movie. And this is because of that scene in particular, not just because of the flashes and all that Mm -hmm. at the beginning, but fuck me, that dinner scene. Yeah. And this is why Marilyn Burns is my unsung hero. She has to be hysterical for the last let's say conservatively 30 minutes of this film, she is in utter hysterics. There are those great, my favorite shot is the close-ups of her eye. Yeah, those, her, that's like, yeah. Her eye fills the frame. It's bloodshot. She's crying. Her face is red and puffed out and she just looks like she is on the brink of insanity, if not over the falls already. Well, and, and, and I don't want to say I give credit to Toby Hooper because obviously that's a shitty way to shoot, but you wonder how much she was even acting then. You know what I mean? Like, Well, Gunnar Hansen talked about that. There's a scene, in the dinner scene, there's a moment where Edwin Neal, as Nubbins, hitchhiker, says to him, kill her, get her. And he's like, for a minute there, sanity slipped. Yeah. We were all batshit nuts and I was on my way. As I was walking across to her, I was going to kill her. Which, yeah, you take that for what it is, but I can imagine on a 24-hour shoot like that, yeah, you're going to start to, you're going to start to go nuts in, in those kinds of conditions. I mean, crew members were throwing up, passing out. Toby Hooper talks about how many of them were not on speaking terms with him for years afterwards. Yeah. And uh, Edwin Neal, again, hitchhiker, mm-hmm. uh, was in Vietnam and said that being chased through the jungles of Vietnam was uh, not as bad as shooting that scene which again a bit of hyperbole there but apparently local police though were happy with the movie um as hitchhiking went down uh extensively oh i'm sure it did (laughs) that's brilliant yeah i bet he says like uh like a a texas ranger came up and shook his hand and said you've made our job a bit easier because hitchhiking has gone down a lot yeah based on on you yeah (laughs) and then one of the other pieces of trivia i absolutely love about this film is uh the museum of modern art purchase a print for their permanent collection. So, I mean, if that's not... If, if that doesn't speak to how important this film is in the filmmaking zeitgeist, then yeah, I, I don't say, know what does. I, I can't say that this film was inducted into the National Registry, but th- this is a pretty cool that, thing. That's too. a great thing. Yeah. I mean, how many films can say that? I, I, I don't know the I, answer I couldn't. I couldn't find the list. I, I did search. Yeah. But yeah, man, that... I, I want to talk more about your, your first impressions. Like, this is, this is exciting to me. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, like I said, I was 13, 14, and I, the, my first impressions have stayed with me. So, so I want to explore some of yours. Yeah, sure. I'll, so I'll try to go chronologically. Um, I think the detour at the, um, at the graveyard before they get to the house, like there's that, there's that drunk prophesying. I, like, I, I do love the drunk. I don't quite get it. But I under, but I, but it goes back to the idea of whoever fucking cast this film is great because like that guy is a, I don't think, I, I doubt he's an actor. 
he, he probably looked like, yeah, you. Yeah. You, come you do got it. the look. Yeah. Just yeah. here, give him a bottle of whiskey and let him do his thing. Um, I, I, I don't understand why all there was all this, like, the planets are in retrograde. I thought that was horseshit. That dates the film for me. That's the one thing that really dates it. And you have to remember, these are high school age or college age kids, and this is the mid-70s. Yeah, everybody's obsessed with astrology and star signs and things like that. I mean, yeah. it's just a product of the time. Um, I, I wrote... Uh, I'm just I'm just reading my notes as I go through here, and so you can you can respond. I wrote I, when they when the hitchhiker gets out, I I wrote down drive faster, fuck face. Um, <laughs> like you can go more, you can go faster than five miles an hour. Yeah, he's but, right there. Yeah, he is he is accurately drawing something on your van because you are going that fucking slow. I I didn't catch it in the first viewing, but on on subsequent ones, I was like, he's marking the van so that when they do get there's no other gas station, and he knows who runs that he, he's marking the van for him to know hey these guys pick them yeah i don't did you have that impression Stay, of well with the with the marking that, that he was marking the van for no a specific not necessarily purpose? although that that makes a lot of sense yeah. i love i i i um after the fact love the line stay for the barbecue yeah that's great that's awesome <laughs> um you don't just walk onto other people's property and that and you're right like when you mentioned the kind of we going through the plots and ops, like in a way you deserve to die. Like in Texas, like like if it's not a if it's not a leather faced Texas chainsaw wielding maniac, it's somebody with a shotgun who shoot you yeah. for the same fucking thing. Yeah. So that's you're an these idiot. are these are not very uh they're not world weary kids. Yeah. They haven't not, experienced yeah, exactly. enough to know, hey, maybe I shouldn't go wandering onto this crazy ass looking property. Um uh, what and I, I read this. What do you feel about? Do you that that the the actress who played Pam actually said that she thought that she lived through it? Did you read this? No. Oh God. Oh, no, based. Oh, she wasn't there for that dinner scene, so I don't know how much she quote unquote went through. Unless she was on set. I mean, I don't know why you'd want to be if you're not involved in it. Get the fuck out of there. No, no. I, it just she said like she she believed that her character. Oh, I did, it was one I didn't say. Oh, Basically, you're talking about her character lives. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh no. You get impaled on a spike, bitch. Calm down. But we see her in the like the freezer thing. Oh yeah. Later. No, she's dead. No, but she she reacts. She does. Some, remember, she like she, like, she open. Doesn't she open it? No, Leatherface opens it to to show, you know, old man, yeah, old but, man okay, character well, that she's okay, in there. But I, I I swear I remember her like. The, the uh, arm kind of flops and Leatherface like yeah, freaks um, out and shoves it back then, in. Then there. Maybe I remember that wrong. Um. No, she doesn't live through it. I said Jerry's a dick because he kept saying that um, somebody's going to kill Franklin. So that's yeah. one thing. The smile on Leatherface's face with a chainsaw under the mask is... It, 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 we just go back to disturbing. That's yeah, just like really enjoying, disturbing. Enjoy, hey, man. Yeah. Enjoy what you love and uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Okay, let me let me just rattle off some of these. Um, so, so some some some... And this, this goes back into the tropes of horror films for Sally. Don't stop running. Stop grabbing your head. Stop screaming. And this is all before the dinner table. So I, but that I just that all those things could possibly help. Yeah, Liz. I know Liz has seen it before, but she was having a hard time. Like, because like I said, there is a constant wall of sound in that last half hour. Whether it's the sound of the chainsaw or the sound of them mocking her and screaming, oh god, or just her mocking her with the house is just that's rough. Fuck. Yeah. Um. I, I. This is and this is about where I wrote. I can't tell if the acting is great or terrible. At one point, they say that Grandpa killed sixty people in five minutes. Oh, he what ki- the fuck? So no, he's he was the best in the slaughterhouse. He killed oh. he killed fifty cows. Oh, is that what in it was? six minutes? And he would have killed more if they could have gotten the bodies okay. out of the way. All right, gotcha, gotcha. Um, I love Grandpa's it. the I best killer. The the trucker took off. 
Oh yeah, he just yeah. <laughs> he sees the chainsaw and just fucks well, off. And uh, I do think that this is one of the all-time great endings. Yeah. I, I, I love it. And I loved reading that. Because um, she'll never recover. She's there. She's covered in blood. Yeah. Some of it, Marilyn Burns' actual blood. Yeah. And she is just demented while he's there doing the chainsaw. That chainsaw dance. Yeah. I love that. Uh, oh, it still reading haunts that, me. That lot of that was, was possibly him trying to get back at Toby Hooper for uh, just the, the shoot and like trying to get close to him with the... Yeah, because that the, comes damn close to the line. I'm surprised yeah. they didn't break a camera yeah or somebody didn't get cut with that chainsaw but but what i mean you know this being the because i because i i remember being like 11 or 12 and like it, this it was on and I, I i specifically remember that it was on because i remember seeing leatherface but like on network tv like how much did they have to slash out of it i don't i it, i mean it, somebody could have had it on or i don't i don't oh, I, right. but i remember i know that i've seen clips of this before in my life when i was when i was younger but i've never sat down to watch it and what I will say is, despite some of those funny things I said about like you know stop you know don't stop running and and some of the stupid things like like that, um, in the same way that I appreciate Halloween, I do appreciate the filmmaking of this movie as well. Like I think there are parts of it that, like if you're gonna, if if you're setting out to make a disturbing movie, this this certainly did it. Like I, I it, it did what it I think set out to do. Well, for years this was my favorite horror film of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's The Exorcist now, but. Like this film disturbed me to my core, and yeah. and parts of it still do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yes. So and I I feel like there have been like essays and thesis written about this oh, movie. The, well, I mentioned that to you before we started recording. I mean, there are so many documentaries on yeah. this thing. But but I mean, like but like people talking about you know that this is also about like it's about vegetarianism and it's also oh, about Jesus no, but Christ. that's what I mean. Like like it's about it. Like you can read into all the things and. Yeah, and this is where the fanaticism starts to drive me nuts. It's the same as that stupid Room 237, whatever documentary about The yeah, Shining. Yeah. I turned that off after the first guy. I was like, you people have way too much fucking time on your hands. See, I only finished it because I was so interested in the lunacy of it. Yeah. I couldn't help but finish So it. I think the first story in that is the guy who is making the case for Kubrick, making the, the case for how Native Americans have been treated in America because in one shot... There's that can of... There's a can with a Native American head on it behind Scatman Crothers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, mate. You are a fucking moron. <laughs> go find... A, go... I don't know. Go build model airplanes. Find a fucking hobby, please, for the love of Christ, because you're wasting... You're it's, wa it's analyzing Kubrick films. I know, right? Accurately. He's wasting my oxygen. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, dude, I don't, I don't know. How do you feel about some of the, the, they're not conspiracy theories, obviously, but some of the over analysis? Well, like, I mean, specifically for this movie, because I, I, I just, I kind of highlighted some, like, the, um, the, uh, the parad the paradigmic exploitation in which female protagonists are subjected to brutal and statistic violence. So, sort of about the, fi like, the final girl trope. Um, also talking about you know uh, like toxic masculinity and also um, and then that, that whole thing about vegetarianism, which apparently Toby Hooper confirmed that this is a film about. He said it's a film about meat, and he gave up eating meat during the the shoot. Not that it's a movie about becoming a vegetarian, but that that was, that a, was, that was a, a side was, effect. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that actually, apparently, uh, Guillermo del Toro became a vegetarian for the first time after seeing this movie. Now, that's not important. That's just but, a thing. I, I yeah, it's interesting. So I think you can make the the case for 
becoming vegetarian or vegan more than you can but like, toxic masculinity. Like, I'm, the, I'm having a hard time. But let me just read the, like this, that one. Like uh, Naomi Merritt explores the film's representation of cannibalistic capitalism in relation to George Patil's theory of taboo and transgression. She elaborates on Wood's analysis, stating that the Sawyer family's values reflect or correspond to established and interdependent American institutions, but their embodiment of these social units is perverted and transgressive. And it's like I don't want to say that that's like okay, sure, but it's like if you if you put a, a a good enough lens on anything, you can you can see something. Yeah, you'll see whatever you want to see. Yeah, it. I mean, I, I I almost to do it on purpose. I wrote a paper about Chekhov when I was in grad school, and I I equated his plays and and the Seven Deadly Sins. I was like, because if because if you look, you can they're all in his work, and it's like, well, sure, but if you really wanted to, you could take the Seven Deadly Sins and say that they're in almost anything. If if you really want to make the case, you you could do that kind of thing, right? Or like you know that that this movie or this book is actually talking about this, and like, well, sure, yeah. If you can find a link, you could you could. Start, it's 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 just like that two thirty seven, like because there's a an image of a Native American that this is about the plight of the Native Americans in in the U S over the last hundreds of years, you know. So it's like. Which I'm not taking anything away from that. It's just that's not what The Shining is about. Well, well sure, and yeah. and, and I, yeah, I guess I just I'm just saying like. If you were to ask me what the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is about, I don't know that I come up with cannibalistic capitalism or that it's 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 you know pro vegetarianism or I don't know that I would come up with any of those things actively, right? Like on the spot right now, I'd be like, I think this is just one of those like, look what could happen, like you know. I don't think it's it's uh, I, man. I'm really now. God damn it! I'm stuck on that. The the capitalistic cannibalism i think it's more opportunistic i mean they talk about the slaughterhouse closing this whole family has been in meat their entire lives now they're they're destitute and they're in poverty but they they still love meat yeah can't afford it we'll just get meat wherever we can even if that means we have to resort to cannibalism i mean it's it's their family's life's work it's their family's obsession yeah I mean, and, and, and they do, I mean, they reference the slaughterhouse and everything like quite a bit it, for me. It, it, it's not quite as clear, but I, I, I love in, um, in hell or high water, they continuously keep showing buildings that are for sale throughout the movie. And that's like one of those things that I, I fucking really love about hell or high water is we get what is actually happening with this family and they're trying to get the money to save their, their ranch. Yeah. So the, seeing all those shots, that's to provide you context of the, of the plight and yeah. why they've been driven to this. And I, I just, I don't know if, if the, the butcher stuff and the slaughterhouse stuff is, it rings as, as, as clearly in this as I, I feel like it does with the, the, the housing market and everything in hell or high water, but it is there. I mean, like the, the plight of the, the working man, you could say, you know, yeah, this and, that's, family. and that's as deep as I'm going to dig on this film. I'm not going to exactly, go into exactly. some of the, the, the deeper things that some other people have done with their, what I call over analysis of this film. Yeah. The, the, uh, the, the criterion collection essay that yeah. you get with it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You're right. Yeah. Cause some of those are just, dude, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, as, as, as I don't know, as, as first impressions go, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Um, so you think you'll be revisiting it? I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I cause I mean, it's a horror movie staple yeah, in and, our house. And, and, and horror movies as a genre, they, they don't necessarily do it for me. But what, what I, what I tell people, especially if somebody asks me for horror movies, I say, look, I don't, I don't really like horror movies. I think by and large as a genre, they're not that good. However, 
the ones that I do watch and enjoy, I will sing its praises. And and this is one of them. Well, I, and I, I think horror movies are, I don't want to call them easy. I don't want to dismiss them, but I feel like there's a lot more horror movies out there when you start digging deep into direct-to-video and, and independent films and those like that. There's yeah. a... They seem like they're more accessible to filmmakers in an easy way. And a lot of filmmakers have gotten their start, like Toby Hooper, making horror films. Yeah. And so that means, unfortunately, you've got to wade through a lot more garbage to find, you know, the diamond in the rough. Yeah, that, that, and that's that's totally fair. Um, but but yeah, I I, I don't know, man. It, it's 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 hard to call this an enjoyable movie. But oh, because it's not. It but it is it is oddly captivating. Yes. Like I really didn't find myself. I mean, to the people who listen to this, right? So we, we record three at a time. And I will say of the, of the three that we are recording in this batch, this was the one that I, I didn't have to pause or stop or do whatever. Like this actively kept me going. Well, it's also got the shortest runtime of them as well. This movie is 83, 84 minutes. And that, yes, and that's true. But the, like... But no, sorry, I wasn't trying to take no, away no, from no, what you were no, saying. No, 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 but, but like, it helps. Okay, so, okay, let me, I gotta go on a tangent. We watched, I watched a very, very bad movie recently called In the Name of the King. This is an Uwe Boll oh, film. Oh, Jesus. Right, have you seen this? Because this is god-awful. I have still not seen one of his films. Okay, well, here's the thing. We got to the point where, like, a, a revelation took place, and we thought, oh, okay, this has got to be, like, there's got to be 30 minutes left. An hour and 20 minutes was left of this movie, and it felt like, the long so there are there are long movies that are like actually long, and then there are movies that aren't that long that feel really fucking long. And um, oh well, we've talked about a couple of them on this podcast, like The Quiet Man. We have the movies not that long. I couldn't fucking wait for it to end. Yeah, uh, and I don't want to play my cards too early, but our next week's episode was way too fucking long for my taste. I'm glad we agree on that. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. Yes. This movie is not very, like, it's not, it's not actually long. Um, but, it, but it, I, I never once felt the need to like pause or do whatever. Like I, it, it totally kept me there and yeah, the running time helps, but I felt totally compelled throughout the entire thing. Man, I'm so excited you dug this. And it's, oh, a, yeah. I, it's just, it's energized me talking about your first viewing of it. Yeah, yeah that, no, I was, this is one of those movies, your first viewing of it, something like, I, I don't want to mention them in the same breath, but there are certain films where I think you'll always remember your first viewing, stuff like The Godfather mm-hmm. or Goodfellas yeah. or Lawrence of Arabia or 2001. You're always going to remember the first time you had that sort of cinematic experience. Well, and I don't think it's even... like and, and like the movies that you referenced are very much like considered classics, but I, I think it's any... like I, I, I can... I, I don't mind saying how much I love this movie, but I remember seeing Cinderella Man in theaters. And like that, for whatever reason, like I remember like going, fuck, yeah, okay. Like I, I so really, underrated. really like that movie. Yeah. And um, and and I, th- I, you know, I think it's it's just if how the movie grabs you or, you know, if it does. And this one did. I, this yeah. one totally did. And, I, and I'm not saying that The Hills Have Eyes wouldn't have. That's because that's Craven, right? Yeah. But and I, of course, uh, the, those films are connected because uh, they share the same art director. Robert A. Burns worked yeah. on both. And that was part of the reason why. Uh, Craven hired him is because he wanted that feel and that look of of Texas Chain. Craven is actually one of the most him and Stephen King, I think, are the most outspoken uh, supporters of this film. I mean, yeah. Stephen King said it scared the shit out of him. Yeah, which that's will, that's impressive. I this will, is the guy that has crafted untold nightmares among yeah. the masses, and this scared him. I will say that um, I, I think it's Wes Craven's first film, um, Last House on the Left. I don't like. I fucking hate that movie. I didn't the first time I saw it, but I found a lot to appreciate it 
about it, especially in after the rape scene. I love the the sequence where they're stood there and they're looking at what they've done and that moment. That that is a great acting beat in a terrible movie. Yeah, I, and I, al- and kind of elevates yeah. the rest and I, of the. And film. I don't know what the hills have eyes is about. I, I, I've not done the research well, on it. The reason I, I uh, suggested pairing them is because they're both road trips gone wrong. Uh, the, oh, the, yeah. plot, the plot of Hills House Eyes is uh, a family traveling uh, through like the Death Valley area and they stop somewhere they shouldn't. And of course, they come into contact also with cannibals. So they share that as well. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I, yeah, I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I'm glad the poll went the way it did. I enjoyed this movie, and I guess I'll play I'll play my cards first. And I I, I absolutely think this movie should be in the book. Oh yeah, and I I don't think you have any <laughs> doubts about how I feel about it. I don't yeah. at all. <laughs> um, and and you know again, so you know we did this you know specifically because Halloween was coming up, and uh, thank you for for picking this movie uh, because I I certainly enjoyed it. I know Ian did, and hopefully you do as well. Um, so please hit us up on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know how you you know how you think about this movie. You know when was the first time you saw it? Is it one that you go back to? Is this part of your Halloween staple collection? You know when we get towards that last week of October, are you are you putting on Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Uh, so again, hit us up on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us. Um, to listen to this on Podomatic and Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and probably other places as well. Um, so, yeah, two yeses, big time. Um, please come back next week, even though I, I don't want to be coming back next week to talk about the movie that we're going to be talking about. Sorry. But please do, because it'll be a fun discussion, and it's a classic that I'm going to be ripping apart. So, anyways, until then, my name is Adam. And my name is Ian. And we will see you next week. <laughs>